Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. All right. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with JP and Doris Vallow. We're at May 5th, 2021. We're at Linfield University. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, first question to get started, as JP, you might remember from the first time, why wine? Why wine? Um, but I probably answer the same way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wine has been um, the, the door uh, to go anywhere I, I wanted to be. Um, from day one, when I was introduced to wine through my family on both sides, uh, they were talking about all different places. So they went back to uh, France, they were into Italy, places that I didn't know, but I was wondering if I can actually go there and work there. Um, so wine has been the, my ticket to, to go out from, from Mendoza, from Argentina. What are you, Doris? Well, I always like wine, but honestly, it's been mostly driven by JB. That's his passion, and I, I think it's fun. I think it's um, it's a fun business. You can. I am very friendly. I'm very social, so it, it's a way of making good, you know, friends. Who doesn't want to <laughs> hang out around br- wine? Well, for those of us who love wine, right? So I think that that part for me is the what is it's the you know like gathering people, having people together. I'm the family oriented that it's always inviting friends, and so what was the best way of doing it is you know with wine when he talk about the idea originally yeah, about making wine, I'm like, yeah, let's give it a try. Worst case, worst case scenario, we have tons of wine to give it to our friends, you know, <laughs> so. So tell me, oh, let's start with Doris. Uh, tell me about kind of your life before wine and, and what you were doing growing up and, and your, your education uh, before, before wine. Well, I grew up in Puerto Rico, an island, so very far away from the wine culture. Uh, of course, we have, you know, we drink wine, but it's not part of our culture as you see in Europe and in, in part of the United States. Uh, fun life in an island, uh, but I wanted to see the world. I also wanted to travel. I think that's part of the, one of the things that get Juan Pablo and I uh, together. It's our passion for traveling, meeting other places. So I finished my master in counseling, moved to Miami, and that's when we met. And he, su- he suggested Oregon. And um, so I said, why no? <laughs> why not? And uh, I came here to do my PhD. So I always wanted to be a college professor. So that was my main goal. So I was very focused on that. And that's how we ended in Corvallis. Tell me about your PhD, what, what, what is it in and, and what have you done with it since you've got it? Well, I have a PhD in Human Development and Family Sciences and I also completed at OSU a Master in uh, Public Health. And I fall in love with public health and now in the time of COVID, everyone see the value of public health, but I saw it way <laughs> before everyone else. I just fall in love with uh, public health and I knew that I wanted to be a college professor and uh, I want to work with first generation uh, college students and Western Oregon University. It's a university that is focused on that population. It was a great um, 
fit for me and I've been working there for 10 years and I'm now a professor of uh, public health and I'm the program coordinator for the public health program there. You mentioned the growth of public health in, in our consciousness in the last year. Tell me about the growth uh, since you've been a part of it. What, what captivated you about it in the first place and how have you seen it kind of grow as you've been involved in it? Well, everything that we do is public health. Even wine is related to public health, right? Our lives and, uh, um, and I see public health as the well-being of the nation. I always knew that if we care about everyone, we all are in a good place. And I think that this pandemic has shown this you know, it's not just about individual health, but in order for you to be healthy, everyone else have to be healthy. And I think the pandemics have shown that to everyone, but it was clear for me that we needed to address it, you know, 10 years ago. So JP, you mentioned kind of growing up around wine. Take, take us through once you, once wine became, when did wine become something you wanted to do as a career and, and where did it take you? Um, like I mentioned, so uh, part of my family uh, came from uh, France, and uh, the other side of the family, which is my mom's uh, side, came from Italy. And so when they, uh, on my mom's side, when they came in, they worked for one of the biggest wineries in Mendoza, which at that point, in the, the, the 50s, 60s, they were one of the biggest in the, in the continent. Actually, the name is Gargantini. Unfortunately, it's no longer in business. Uh, so it, it will go see, so my uh, grandfather, my great-grandfather, both of them worked for this company, which is uh, owned by a Swiss guy. Uh, they actually speak, uh, spoke uh, Italian because he was on the border with Italy. And so we'll go see it, and then my grandpa will take me to the winery. And they have uh, the winery actually built uh, a neighborhood for all his, their employees. So they will have uh, uh, the first maternity for them, uh, the first one, a church, uh, the school. So the winery basically put up a city for all of them. So they were really passionate about working for this guy. And I got that. So basically, on my, mom, on my dad's side, which is the French side, they took care of. Uh, the vineyard work. So, um, but it wasn't until I was 16 that I decided that I would go for that. Before that, I thought I would be an architect, and I went to high school for that. And then I decided that the drawing it was fun, but no, I didn't see myself drawing every day. It's been inside, so I, I really enjoyed the outside part. And we were surrounded by vineyards, so basically, and that was the main thing for Mendoza, and still is the main thing. So I, um, I recall the first time in college uh, that actually they, they gave us this, uh, a few questions, say how you see you portray yourself in five years. And I didn't see myself as a winemaker. Uh, I saw myself as a, a vineyard manager or maybe a business guy, but in the wine industry, but in the, in the vineyard side, more about growing grapes, uh, take a look to the vineyards. And, and back in the time, it was all about having your own four by four pickup. And so he actually asked us to draw. <laughs> so everyone was drawing like uh, those uh, rows. 
and you will see the Andes because all the all the vineyards are you see the Andes in the back basically on the, the west side of the of the province and below that will be a little guy which will represent us and a pickup truck <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, went through the five years I became an engineer like agricultural engineer with a f um, uh, focus on vineyard management and winemaking and uh, it wasn't until uh, I graduated that actually I wanna there was a exchange program to come and see the U.S. and I said okay I'll take it but I thought it would be for the vineyard side and but it was for white major mm -hmm. so and that was uh, the, my first time in Oregon in 2001, which was uh, Willamette Valley Vineyards, they brought me up here. And um, so the, the, the winery that I spoke with before coming into the U.S., um, they contacted me after I came back and I said, okay, well, we want to hire you. And I thought it would be, because we're talking about the vineyard side, but they said, no, you, you went to a winery over there, we're going to keep you in the winery. So they kept me in the winery as uh, one of the junior winemakers over there. And since then, I've been just making wine. So it's been almost 20 years. So, right now, so I didn't know how, I knew they have a passion, but I didn't know that I would be enjoying so much making wine. I mean, I still go see vineyards. We used to have our own vineyards not too long ago. Uh, but I think at this point, you gotta pick a side. You can't just do everything. And, and this is the problem for us. Uh, we're trying to do sometimes probably too many things. And, um, uh, don't ask her. <laughs> don't ask her. Uh, but it, it's it's good. I, I love the winemaking side. It's just uh, it's been really passion. It's been opening many doors uh, more than if you are uh, in the vineyard side. And just want to say that because I have many friends that are in the vineyard side and they don't get to go anywhere. Uh, for some reason, uh, if you're in the in the in the winery side, you're a winemaker, so you're always invited to events, uh, dinners, and so so. So I guess I picked the right side. So I've, maybe I've, not. I have more questions about that, but I want to go back for a second. You mentioned that you met in Miami. Uh, I'm curious how you met, and and uh, and and what prompted you to want to come back to, to, to Oregon at that point. Well, we were, you know, it, it was a, a, a weird, you know, day, one day that I was not going as a, as a plan and I decided to go out by myself. And there was this Spanish restaurant and he was there with his friends visiting in Miami and they start chatting, you know, and chatting with me and uh, introduce JP to me and then next day was my birthday. And, you know, we kept talking, we have fun, we kept, you know, seeing each other and yeah, things just evolve, and we knew that we didn't know what was going to happen. He was going back to Argentina, I'm in Miami, but things happen, and he applied again to Oregon, and well, you, we are. You, you went down to Argentina, met my family. Yes. It's always say that whatever you hear in Miami is not true, because yeah, everyone true. make it bigger. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted that's to see. Really <laughs> that's true. I, I was true. I I'm said a smart whatever. girl, so I'm, I'm not going to buy this story of I'm a uh, winemaker kind of thing until I see you actually making wine. Which is, let me interrupt you, but it's true. I mean, I was just talking about things and as 
soon as I say that I was a white maker, that made her turn her head. So because we were on one of those Miami streets, that I don't even remember the street, but we were talking and I see her face Ocean just- Ocean Drive. Ocean Drive, thank you. So she was just looking into the street and now you, I'll be talking, but she will be turning to me. Like I just, just both guys talking. Yeah. And <laughs> so as soon as I say one, she just turned like, yes, okay, okay. Now, oh, okay. now <laughs> we can talk. <laughs> now we can talk about no. <laughs> the icebreaker. So wine was, <laughs> that war was the icebreaker, basically. Yeah. Uh, so then, uh, so went to see, uh, met my family. Uh, my, we did a road trip down to the Patagonia area, the, the south, mm -hmm. to actually, uh, and she met my sister down there. And then we have a great time. So I confirmed, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, all the, there was like check. a ch <laughs> checklist. Oh, yes, okay. And then, uh, so I applied for the third time uh, for the same program. So I worked 2000, uh, vintage 2001 and 2002, I worked for uh, Willamette Valleviñas. Uh, the third one, I was just looking for maybe something a little smaller because uh, Willamette was big and the winery done in Argentina, Catena, was so big. I just want to do something that actually will be able to see from the beginning, from getting the grapes into putting in a barrel or whatever it is. So the whole, the whole process of that. Uh, so I got hired by uh, Soder. Uh, Tony Sutter was the, and James Cahill was the winemaker then. So I worked for them and I, we came together. So basically, I flew from Mendoza to Chile, uh, then from Chile to uh, Miami. Pick it up, uh, we drove in her car, uh, Pontia Sunfire, uh, <laughs> and she packed whatever he fit in the car. And I, I remember, like, uh, sometimes slamming the brakes and the whole thing would come forward. Like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> it, it, was, it was a great trip. I mean, it took like more than five days. And um, so we made it to Portland. And then from Portland, the next day, we went to uh, Miller Spring, which is the, the one they were building the one back in that time. And we met the guys, and then um, they have, we, they rent a house for us and some of the other guys from the other wine, all, all interns. So we were in, here in McMinnville, actually. And, well, I'll give them a little detail, probably, as I say. But I, I proposed to her in the house, so in, the, in McMinnville, so back in 2003. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love that. You, you, you mentioned you had, you kind of had an appreciation for wine, maybe not a, a lot of knowledge about the industry. I'm, I'm curious what your, as you got to know JP and got to see the industry, what your impressions were of the wine industry and what your impressions were of Oregon when you got here. That is a really good question. <laughs> All good questions. <laughs> I think that I probably have the impression that everyone has when you're not involved, right? Like sometimes something far away, maybe snobby sometimes, right? Like there's fancy places, you know, making wine. Um, actually, I always told him, and he, he jokes about like, I pay attention when he say that he was a winemaker, but growing up in Puerto Rico, it doesn't cross your mind that you can be a, a winemaker because you're from an island. So you're not thinking about it, right? You know about many other professions and careers, but you don't think about winemaking, right? So it was kind of rediscovering, you know, the world, right? And, and again, you know, we, we met young. I didn't know much about wine. Um, and 
it's for me what is interesting is seeing the different cultures right oregon wine culture is very different that napa wine culture that france when we went to france you know the wine culture there the wine culture in argentina so for me it's is really why i appreciate about wine is that it's not just the beverage the dream that you're having but it, you are getting a piece of that culture and it goes beyond terroir, right? Terroir is part of the wine, but Oregon wine represent Oregon, you know? It is the easy going of Oregon, the more relaxed, and that's how the, the industry is for the most part, right? And it's not all the time, but for the most part. But then you go to Napa and you have the strong wines, you know, kind of, big and and then the industry is like that you know huge wineries all about but then you go to france and you get the the bordeaux you know like the 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 feeling it's just different so i i come from sociology right so i i also see the sociological part of it and i love it right and i love it and i love that we're making wine in Oregon because I love Oregon wine culture. I love Oregon wine and I love Oregon wine culture. So from someone who didn't grow up from that, um, like he grew up in Mendoza, it's wine country. That was not my experience. To someone growing outside of that realm and then seeing Oregon, I don't see myself in another wine culture. I can enjoy other wine cultures, but I always want to come back to Oregon wine culture. And that's that's what I actually saw uh, back in 2001. As soon as I got out of the um, PDX and they drove me from PDX down to Salem because we were uh, we have an apartment down there with the winery. I saw that potential. I mean, the, the industry was growing. It was really small back in that time. Only 230 wineries, I believe, somewhere in there, to the 900 plus that we have right now. But they were really welcoming compared to many other places that actually, for example, Mendoza, which have uh, more than 100 years, close to 200 probably, um, industry that it is welcoming as until a point. I mean, the, you, it depends uh, what you work for. Uh, there is no the relationship that you may have with all the other winemakers in terms of if you have a problem, what you will do. Um, here, which it was surprising for me, that if you have a problem, you probably call 20 people and get 20 different answers. In Argentina, you have a problem, you can talk to anyone because you may be fired. So it is really different approach. Or someone will say, we'll go in the news, so they can take you down, and we'll be more self-reliant. So it was a... In, in Argentina, it was more like a survival mode. So all the wine competing for the same markets. And there was, it's all Malbec. And it's all, um, so, and I think that probably what may happen here with, if we just follow just Pinot Noir, and, and we grow and grow, but there's a point when you start getting more competition for the same um, outlets. But again, as I say, each country has their own, you know, reality and social political. And even, you know, when you think about wine and the history, how it's integrated, right, in different countries and how it's spread. So I, I think that uh, Oregon just, just, it's, it's for me, it's perfect. You know, it's fun, it's accessible, it's great. Again, I enjoy other countries and I go to Argentina and you go there and you have these beautiful wineries looking at the Andes and it's gorgeous. And I enjoy it, but I want to come back to my Oregon. 
<laughs> wine culture. So at this point, you're 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 in Oregon. You're now you're now engaged, and you've you've been here a couple of years. Tell me, what was your what was your thought at that point? You you had, you had kind of thought you were going to head down the, the viticulture path, and now you're on the winemaking path. What were you planning at that point? What were you hoping for, and, and what was sort of the next step for you? Well, um, after my first visit to Oregon, and this was a kind of like a spin, I think. So it was like two, almost three months with the winery, and then maybe two months. Another two months uh, traveling, so I went to Las Vegas, LA. I went to anywhere. I took the funny because I took the Greyhound. I didn't know about the Greyhound, but I took the Greyhound from LA to Savannah, Georgia. So I just crossed the whole country on the Greyhound. It was like uh, 23 buses and non-stop like uh, so you get one chain and i got so anyway so that was a great experience so when i get back to argentina i uh so basically i say all the money that i needed to pay back my dad because uh, in the same year he actually paid for me to go to europe so i was in europe then came to the u.s and so i saved all that money and a lot of money to come back because uh, i i saw there were more things and, and just take a look to the potential of the state. And we actually got me in the thinking about staying here is the, all out of the, all the wines that were here, so 60% or more, they were only making under 5,000 cases, which is crazy. I mean, it come from a winery, or most of the winery that are in the millions down in Argentina, and all of them will have a winemaker. So if you, in, in Argentina, for a million cases, you have probably three winemakers and that's it. So there's, there's no money for winemaking. So basically, now that you get to the top, so there was, uh, there was too many things. I mean, I really loved uh, the green part of uh, Oregon, the cleanness. I mean, the whole, the whole welcoming. And I came right after um, September 11th. So I came here on September 21st. My trip was actually, I was uh, leaving Argentina on the 14th, but uh, everything happened and then everything got pushed out. So uh, the problem was uh, when I met Doris, because that, that changed. And if she was from Argentina, probably would be end up in Argentina, but there were so many things that where we want to be, uh, where we can actually have a, a good living and possible family back in, this is back in 2003. Um, I mean, all the, all the chain leave was just Oregon, basically. I have a job offer there. Um, there were not that many bilingual professionals in her side or area uh, of expertise. Um, but the problem that was that for my mom, for example, she thought that this would be like a two or three year deal and then I'll come back with a lot of uh, uh, skills and then I just get the best job in Mendoza and move on from there. And well, it's been 17 years. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, and it's so easy coming from a country which you have to roll a lot in order to get things. Uh, this, the, the, like the social part that she actually uh, Doris mentioning, I mean, the economic uh, issue, turmoil that we have in Argentina every five, 10 years, everything goes down and the, all the money you save is gone. And then it's just uh, a nightmare compared to here, the, 
if you do a good job and you have a good job, it's all full of opportunities. I mean, it's, it's just the land of opportunities. And as I recall, I mean, it's kind of slogan, but it's, it's true. I mean, you, if you know what you want, I'm thinking that's the important part if, if have in your mind what you need to do in order to get to a goal, um, you, you can achieve it. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it could take time, but that's it. So it depends on you how much you want to do. And our business came, the idea, I would say in 2012, we actually, uh, uh, we built our, or found our LLC, which is Valor Wine Cellars. And uh, we didn't do anything with our label. I was making wine and I was selling to another wineries and they put their own label on it. And we were actually saving all that money in order to have a capital for starting our own label, which is, is not cheap, uh, I can tell you. And so we released our label in 2000, the end of 2017, but the label per se, just the label took almost two years because we couldn't agree on what we want to have on the label. And I recall this, and this is, uh, I, I, uh, this is something that they actually Doris said to me, say, I don't, if this is going to be our family label, I don't want to be just a label. I just want to be a label or have all the meanings or something that is actually related to us. So, and then came the name, the Vulcan. So Val is for Balo, and Can is for Cancel, her last name. So it's just 50-50, three letters, three letters. And um, so then was the part about how to kind of introduce Doris to the industry because she's She's more on the teaching now, and um, I thought that would be what would be on the label would be uh, related to her, and that's why we got the petroglyph. They come from the, the Caribbean. The, you can find them in Puerto Rico. This is the called the Taino. It's a tribe that actually uh, from from the area. They they call Araquats if you want. Araquats on the east side of the country. Um, and I fell in love. There was uh, this that logo. There are two birds that are kissing, and I, I can picture myself and Doris on those birds. <laughs> but going back to your question, because JP sometimes can go. Uh, we didn't envision this from the beginning, right? It was a process. So we uh, are I new. Did, I did. <laughs> well, maybe he did, but the reality is mention. that the reality is that uh, the wine industry, if you don't come from a family or from that background, and it's not always easy to start business in this area. We are not just not from the business in Oregon, but we are not from Oregon, you know? We didn't grow up in this area. So there was many layers to the process that had to happen before we could be where we are right now. Um, and I am the pragmatic, he's the dreamer. I, I always knew that it was not gonna be just you want it and it happened, right? That That's what I mentioned. That there, there are things that, you know, like have to happen and uh, it's been, you know, so many years of building uh, a capital between the two of us. Uh, we always have worked full time. This is entirely our own work. Um, 
So I was always very cautious. I always saw this in stages, right? Like I always thought, yeah, sounds good to have a lot of wine for friends, you know. Yeah, sounds good to have our own small label. But but it's been, you know, like maybe he dream about it. I always knew that this was going to be a process. And 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 I still sometimes I like wait, wait. <laughs> let's 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 keep, you know, growing. And we have a family and we both have careers outside of our wine label and um so in my head i saw myself retire having some sort of wine related business not necessarily what happened right now <laughs> i didn't expect to start a wine label the same year that we had our first child uh, but so it's been for me it's been a process but again i'm very pragmatic so i always have I see the potential of what this is going to be, but I'm always realistic and take things slower. And I love that he's a dreamer. But when we moved to Canada, Oregon, right? when we moved to Oregon, if you asked me back in 2003 if this was going to be our story, I don't know if this is the story that I would have been telling you. Would have been telling you. Well, the, the reason, I think that I expected that, but without the, sorry, I, I the head winemaker for Silver Ridge Winery, and without their support and allowing me to make the wines under their same roof, it, it probably would have happened that soon. Um, I had to recognize that I had that privilege that not many winemakers have, and so it, it that's that's the passion that's right it. there between the, the what I do for Silon Ridge and what I do for Balkan Sellers and, and how supportive they've been of yeah, JP and, and you know um, the former owner who passed away you know Liz Chambers that she she was very inspirational and she was a tremendous support for us and for JP and always believe in him and his capacity and. Um, so it has been a process, you know, like I don't want people to look at our history and like, oh yeah, it's so easy. No, it's not, my wife. you know, it, it's not, it is a process, especially if you're an outsider. And, 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 and it's money too. I mean, uh, any mistakes, uh, if you don't, I mean, if you look at the industry right now, uh, many, many in the industry come from somewhere else. Uh, the tech, the, the pharmaceutical, I mean, all money, into making a dream that will probably turn into a nightmare if you don't have enough money back to back up. Because uh, I mean, any mistake, you just go down because you don't have, you're just living on selling and all that money goes back to the winery. And there's this whole cycle of if you're making red wine, if you're making white wine, if you're making red wine, you probably see no money coming back in three or four years because they had to spend a year or two years in battle. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing uh, industry, amazing job, but it, it's, it's kind of, you stress out all the time. I mean, not, not stress out in a bad way, at least with that, but it's not easy, like uh, for example, last year with the pandemic, so the whole thing went down. And not just that, so in September we got all these fires, and the whole <laughs> thing went down. <laughs> it, like in a whole year, it, you may be out. Not because you didn't have Google lines or anything, it's just because life took you a different path and you're out. So. I think that that's uh, going, you know, thinking about the question of me being an outsider and now. I think that this is what people don't realize about wine, how complicated, 
how delicate, how fragile the process can be, right? Like every, oh yeah, let's open a wine, but there's so much things that you cannot control. The weather, the, you know, the fluctuations in the market, the, uh, and again, you know, like all of these things, a movie, you know, that ruined your, we would all happen with Merlot and side, you know, sideways, right? Yeah. Who can tell the Merlot producers that that was gonna be a major, you know, driver in declining sales in Merlot. So that's an example of, you know, so for me, that is fascinating, right? The, the, discovering all of that. And now I'm more into now, I'm always like reading and following uh, different trends. I, I think that I'm, I'm more, so, because I, I trust him, he's gonna make good wine. I don't have to worry about that part. You, you I just worry you. about everything else. What is happening globally with wine, the wine industry? What is happening, you know, like women in wine, right? Like we, we, we keep talking about it, but when you think about consumers, wine is highly consumed by women. This is something that we should be, in so many ways, catering, getting women engaged, you know, more in the business, but that is not always the case. So that is my side, right? Again, the social, I'm look, paying attention to these trends. And, and for me, that part is, is, is fascinating. And again, 20 years ago, I, I would never oversee, you know, like what was happening now and, and the passions that I have developed with, with the wine and with the label. And again, I trust him with the wine. I take care of everything, you know, like what is happening outside. <laughs> I'm gonna come back to Vulcan Cellars in just a second, but Jiffy, you mentioned your, your sort of your day job at Sylvan Ridge. I'm, I'm curious about that, uh, uh, finding that job and, and sort of settling into that role and sort of developing your own style and, 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 and your wine. So tell me about how you ended up there and sort of your progression through your work there. So, um, in 2004, no, 2005 actually, so 2003 worked for uh, Tony Sauter, Sauter Vineyard. Then I went to work for Joe Dabbs when he started his own um, company. Uh, that family stayed and went by Joe. We were in Forest Grove, so we were living in Tualatin. Um, in 2005, after probably a year working with Joe, uh, Doris got a, a scholarship for doing her PhD program, but that was for OSU. And uh, when she was so excited about it, uh, she said, "We gotta, we, we gotta, I want to start in going to college." I said, "Okay," and and we gotta move. I said, "Okay, uh, where where are we going?" Say, and she said, "Corvallis." And I didn't got a clue. I mean, where was Corvallis actually? So I look on the map. In, in so back in that time, not so much uh, Wi-Fi, internet, the whole thing. You just city was Corvallis and it will pop up. If you see the can understand what you're saying, because most of the time doesn't. Um, sorry, I have an iPhone, I have a problem with city. Uh, so, it, and I look, so I'm working for a row and I see Corvallis all the way down, say, that's more than two hours drive. So, she said, I know. Okay, so I may have to look for another job then. I say, yep, I think so. <laughs> and I like, okay, I don't think there's that many opportunities for winemaking. I mean, that's, that's, so this is probably in 2005, maybe what, 400 winery? So um, 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 we look on the uh, winebusiness.com, on the, um, 
and there was one op uh, job offer for assistant winemaker at Silver Ridge, and that was done in Eugene. And I said, well, that's one hour. And I said, well, I'll apply, and then I got the position. And I said, okay, well, we just move in and I'll commute. And when I got the position, something that I didn't know is that they were doing, it's too many things that I didn't know. I took the job no matter what, but I, that was, let's say, pluses. And that was that we were doing four tens. So four days, 10 hours. So for harvest that you go more often, but I said, oh, that's great because I, I'll commute 110 miles per day, but it will be four days. So I'll have uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. And then the other thing, was the other plus was um, they were making uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, Merlot, uh, Cabernet Franc. Uh, there was a little Malbec there too. And I said, wow, do you know? Because uh, I came to Orion to work on Pinot Noir, but I come from a place that actually Pinot Noir was one little variety compared to too many other ones uh, beside uh, Malbec. And I said, well, I just meet the big reds. And so I took the position. And uh, in 2012, uh, many things changed in that year. So basically, it was actually say that the, the war would end in that year. And everyone was, uh, was thinking, oh, what's going to happen? It's going to be uh, the apocalypse, the whole thing. And, but many things changed, and uh, so we decided to open the, the do the all the LLC, sorry, the company. Um, I was appointed to be in the Oregon Wine Board, and we have our first son, uh, Francisco. And I was promoted to head winemaker at Silver Ridge. So basically, <laughs> the whole thing changed. Probably was the end of the world for what I was doing into a major role, which is will be uh, with uh, the direction that I wanted for the winemaking, for the label that we were making, the wines that we were making, and thinking about a family. And so, but it wasn't until I got also with the board that actually. We were having meetings and different ABAs within Oregon, and that was um, eye-opening. Because you see the, the different ABAs that I knew about it, but I didn't get the chance to. And, and because we worked for the Oregon one more, we were always really welcoming. And, um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll get to see and try different wines. And I said, wow, I didn't, I like the style, I like the other style. So, and uh, so I combined some of the knowledge that I got in Argentina, which it wasn't that much because basically I worked for almost three years in Argentina, and that was between here and there because I came out after college. So, but I took some of that, and one of the key was uh, in the past, it, it, there was kind of a recipe for making wine that would say that when you're fermenting the grapes on the red wines, you keep the wine or the moss wine or the juice wine uh, until they get dry with the skin. And in Argentina, there was uh, a different vision on that, that you don't need to just go that, you probably you can press it up way before that. I mean, maybe right before it gets dry, dry, and in order to get more round wine, more, uh, more soft tanning. So that was something that actually struck me right there because it was a, a new way to uh, have wine that won't need to be 
in barrel or aging for that long, and they can hit the market uh, earlier. And if you can hit the market earlier, that means you're saving a lot of money too, and you're gaining money back sooner. And that's key for many businesses. Uh, I recall a guy, I won't say the name, but he started a, a, a sparkling house, and but he wanted his wine to stay 10 years in Sur Lake. So 10 years with the lease before hitting the market. So when he started, he didn't get any money until 10 years later. So that's, that's, that's great, but that's crazy. You had to have tons of money in order to, to do that, otherwise you just, you just run out of money. And so that, that was kind of um, thing. And then, uh, like Doris was saying, the trends, uh, what people looking, and we, I think everyone should know that the people looking for new things all the time. And I, I don't know if it's because of social media or what it is, but you want to try new things all the time, which is great for us. Uh, because Balkan has been able to provide many new wines, and actually, we uh, the one of the example would be the white Malbe, which is uh, we made it in 2019, and that's the first in the country, um, and that gave us a lot of uh, positive media. I mean, articles, uh, people trying for the first time, and it was a great wine. Uh, so we made that second one, and we still believe we're still the only one making that wine, and which is good. Well, in my humble opinion, I'm someone that do not come from the wine industry. One thing humble that I opinion. think, okay, one thing that I okay. think that JB and his evolution in Sylvan Ridge, me seeing him trying to be an, uh, uh, as objective as possible, right? As is that I think that when JB uh, became head winemaker, and I think part of the influence of the Oregon Wine Board, JB fell in love with Southern Oregon grapes. And I think he started, you know, really making good, you know, great wines, Tempranillos, Malbec, you know, I think that, I think that that's where actually I see him blending his side from Argentina, his experience in Oregon, I think he saw Southern Oregon and the weather and the grape, and he's like, wait, it's this, you know, wealth here. And I think that, you know, I think Silver Ridge is known, you know, for some of this the wine Malbec, from, yeah. you know, the Malbec and the Tempranillo. So I think that I, I, from the outside, you know, I think that that's one of the places where I think that he grew up tremendously professional as a winemaker is when he was like, there's this jam here in Southern Oregon. He's still, you know, he, he's great with Pinot Noir, and, and I love that. But I think, you know, like he just, I don't know how to explain it, but his wines, you know, okay, this is me biased. <laughs> but, okay, you know, I me. think that, you know, like JP Syrah, his Syrah's like just yesterday, see, he does this all the time. He opens wines that doesn't have a label, right? So what do you think? He's like, he put me that pressure. And yesterday he offered me this wine. He doesn't say anything, just try, try. And I had this sip and I'm like, it's such as an amazing one. He's like, I'm glad that Sira 2018. <laughs> That's our Sira. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think he he has gone, you know, he has grown as a winemaker. Uh, he's so comfortable, right? Again, and I have seen of everyone, I have seen growing you know, up professionally, you know, from being a rookie starting in Oregon to who he is now. And I I think he's, he's, you know, like, he's so confident and his reds are so amazing, but then he's not willing to take risk. 
we can tell you the story about the white Malbec, but I was like, what is this guy doing? So she was the first one to try the wine and she didn't like it at all, which is kind of was like, oh gosh. Oh, gosh. I told you, I'm more the pragmatic, the one that can hold you. I said, no, nope, I don't like it. Said, oh, God. But it, it, it was my mistake because the wine wasn't finished. It wasn't before filtration. It was just finished fermentation. And it was still lazy and the whole thing. And But I wanted to get to get it start like a, approaching her to the new style of the wine and the whole, new whole concept. And I, but I did a bad job on that. I had to admit that I. He didn't sell it well to me. Yeah, so, no, true, yeah. true. <laughs> I I'm, I'm underestimate he's... her because she's always. Uh, um, she won't lie, basically. She's always <laughs> will say that I don't like it, I don't like it. Even if I want to go through that or not. Most of the time that I go, when she says I don't like it, I go through. I'll make a mistake, but except the design. So basically, we get it to try to people come into our um, tasting room in Corvallis, and I'll pour it for them. I'll say, obviously, it's a red, uh, it's a it's a red variety made into a white wine because it still has some color there because Malbec has too much color. As soon as you crush it, it just leaves some color there, and they will never figure it out. I mean, it's so different, so different between. If you try a red Malbec compared to a white Malbec, it, it's too, too thin, day and night, basically. And it, they always call it the, it's like a, a knight on one side with the armor and the horse and the whole helmet, the whole thing just... So that's Malbec, so medium plus body to full body wines. And this white Malbec is the same guy, but he's a gentleman. He's just a guy without anything. It's just a guy on sandal for sandal. And for the record, so, now I love the wine. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it, and that's why I think people get so much in love with that because it, it's like it's, it's totally brand new one. It's, it's mind blowing in the same way because you don't know what to expect, and when you when you had that in mind, you just like a, it's, it's a blank piece of paper, and then you just draw in there what you think it is and it's it's yeah so much of the bouquet i mean the bouquet is just amazing it can get uh, so i call it between like it will be like it's either sauvignon blanc with the viognier so someone the tropical side with some of the not that funky but you get the, a little bit of the um, pink grapefruit in there and then the, it's so tropical too, and it, it gives you the, the feeling of something really sweet, like sweet fruit, basically. And then when but you it's try, not it's not sweet. Then, then you get, oh wow, this is not sweet. I say, yeah, because in your mind already, it's dry, but it's smooth, silky, refreshing, bright acidity. And this is something that actually I'll mention um, right now before I forget. Comparing some of the wine that we were making in Ar in Argentina, Mendoza, Mendoza, because it's so hot, sometimes it doesn't get the, that much of the acidity. So here you get that bright, natural acidity, refreshing, in the, especially in the wine Malbec, which it make the wine uh, really long-lasting, and you get. Uh, it, when you saw, you get more that you give to like, mm, I get more uh, pineapple, for example, something like that. I said, let me try it again. And then they invite it to another sip and another sip. And then you just, it's so easy. I mean, it's really low alcohol, it, around 12%. 
so it, it's a really great wine, and I always wondered why no one was making it before, or what was the problem. I mean, it's not that easy to make. I just have to say that you have to understand what you want to achieve in that, in that part. But if you have a, a picture of what you want, I mean, you can and you can achieve. So the grapes are complicated. There's not a lot of Malbec available anymore. There's the Malbec is Oregon Malbec is taking off, and there's more and more places that are making Malbec. So to make a white Malbec is so is way more complicated to make a rainbow because of the pricing too. So, but I saw as an opportunity to make. Um, I think we did great. So uh, uh, based on that, we come out this year with a second wine that actually one of them gave it to you, which is the sparkling side of the Malbec. So something that actually was always wondering is being more getting into bubbles. Mm -hmm. And bubbles is always in your bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> Any color, doesn't matter, people enjoy bubbles. So most of the time you'll drink either a white wine uh, sparkling or a rosé, but it's a what we don't make into a red and how red we can go before we get tannic and you, you, you gotta get away. For example, the one that I tried were from Australia, but they were sweet and they were full body but sweet, so kind of the, didn't mm. like that concept. So I tune up into okay, how much time we can I can leave the juice in contact with the skin in order to avoid the tanning, but I get the, the, the uh, enthusiasm, the color on there. So, and, 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 and uh, I don't know, this is what I'm new to me. Everyone say, oh, I love this. I mean, this what? is so fun. Say, I'm okay, laughing good. because, <clears throat> you know, like, as I told you, I'm an academic, you know, let's read, let's test, let's prove things, right? <laughs> so we were still kind of recovering from the scare of the Malbec, you know, he took the risk, right? And I was, you know, like, people love it. Okay, great, I'm feeling comfortable, we tested, people um, love. Um, boom. And he's like, let's boom. go home. Second one. Like, I cannot take so much well, well, yes, on the camera for the record, get used to it, because it can be more. No, but it, it was, can be more why? And, and, you know, and I think that that's why, you know, <clears throat> in some ways we work well together, right? Like, because I think we help manage. And I think that he takes risk, but he knows that I am like, if you make a mistake, I'm going to tell you, I told you so. So I think that also made him not does. being kamikaze, right? Like, he is being cautious also like let's explore but let's be cautious and i love that right it's like and he's i think he's creating great things because my head my my voice in his head watch out watch out you know don't overdo it and he he managed his creativity and my pragmatism and boom we have a white mouth bag and a great sparkling mouth. Yeah. Uh, and the red, so we have the yeah. white Malbec, white Malbec, rosé of Malbec, and a sparkling red Malbec. So that's the, what we call the trifecta. And um, it's true, I mean, I like to innovate. I mean, I think for a small brand, that's probably what could keep you alive. Uh, but it's also, this is our, this business is our legacy. I don't see myself working full time for, I just want my kids to do this. Um, one of the reasons probably, the, one of many, many other reasons that, that actually I was able to, to stay in the U.S. because we didn't have a family business done in Argentina. 
If my dad had a family business, probably would end up in Argentina working down there. But I didn't have that, so basically, but that was my dad's dream, actually. And I always say that the, the Balkan Sela is kind of my dad's dream, they became my dream, and now it's my kid's dream. So basically... If they want to. <laughs> of course, if they want to, but at least, well, I always say that if we want to have our kids nearby, then this could be one thing. If they like it, I don't know, if they don't like it, that's fine, that's fine. If there are many many examples in the Oregon industry that you see that the kids want to work with their parents and kids they don't want to work with their parents and that's fine I mean it's, it's an option but I'll take it if this could actually get my kids to work with us. And I'm Puerto Rican so if I can keep my kids next to me all, all their see? life I am I more that. than happy I have no problem. Look in Puerto Rico <clears throat> it's common for parents to build a, 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 a concrete house and then sometimes their kids will build on top of it and leave. So we can do the same with Balkan, that would be great. But maybe now they have the kids, yeah, no, no, maybe the kid next yeah, door or something somewhere there, maybe. I Americanized more, they can live, you know, up I say to, close. you know, like in a radius of 30 miles. <laughs> I can deal with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious uh, as you as you were as you were starting Vulcan and you were thinking about what you wanted it to be, um, wh where did you how did you start when it came to like finding grapes and and to creating those first wines and, and what are you looking at as you look ahead for the for the next creative uh, challenges? So um, and I think I got uh, like I mentioned before I think I got lucky on this because working with Silver Ridge for since 2005. And buying with the, for the wine for so many years from the Rogue Valley, I knew many growers and I knew many new ones. So basically, I started making on my own wine. Like I say, in 2012, we were selling most of the wine, but I got growers that I, then I end up taking them into the seal one that actually I saw the potential. So I've been using kind of my brand, it's been like the lab. Mm -hmm. So where I practice new things and try to, and then many of those things go back to the main wine too. Uh, so finding growers wasn't that complicated. Uh, because I, I've been in the industry for almost 20 years, so we know we're, we're probably still outsiders for so many people, but we, we, we have a life here basically. After 20 years, we probably all feel... I came here when I was 25, so it's pretty close to say that I've been almost equal time in Argentina here. So people, they know me, people that I know that I was also the head one Brazil one, so there was many people say, hey, I have a friend here, but the something that I know that for will be able to because when we built Balkan, it was more focused on the market. Was, In between, uh, we also had a, a daughter. The, so, yeah, yeah so then 2014, we have uh, Evangelina yeah. born. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, we'll do the market. And then I said, okay, so if I come out with just Pinot Noir, I had to be fighting with so many Pinot Noir that I said, well, what will take mine? And how much I can sell? And I said, well, that's, okay, what about, so if, if you will have value, you should obviously you have to make Pinot Noir. But I want to start not with whites, because whites you only have a window of a year or two seasons basically, you spring and summer. And if you don't get to sell it, 
bye bye bye. So the market won't take anymore unless it's Chardonnay and some of producer only, no, no, nobody. So then I say, well, reds, you can keep them longer in the barrel if you need it. And you can actually age more time in the bottle before going to the market. So that will allow you to give a more, a more flexibility um, if you don't sell off in a full year. So we start with reds and I say, okay, what we don't do many different ones, but a small amount. So between 50 to 100 cases. So we come out with 10 different wines. And that will be almost 700 cases total. And I, I got this question and someone said, well, why so many? Well, I was in the, working the market with one of my distributors and we went to this uh, uh, bottle shop. And the guy said, oh, I love the wine, but why so many, why so many wine? And so I turned around and said, why you have so many labels here? Why you don't have wine? Said the same way, because there's so many different consumers. And nobody knows me. So basically, I had to be, my goal right here is out of these 10 wines, if I can get all these 10 wines in your place, awesome. But if I can, maybe four, maybe two, at least one. So if I can get through the gate and get in your place, people will know me right there. If they try it, maybe ask you for more wine, and they will be calling me and say, hey, why don't you bring some of the other one that I like? <laughs> the issue, the main issue was the money side, how, how, you, uh, how much you want to get for the wine. And this is the sad part of the market because either the distributor and retailer, they don't want to spend money on it. So they want you to give it for, no, I won't say for free, obviously, but they want you to work the market with them. There's so many things that actually for a small company is complicated, man, because uh, if we don't get the money, we may be out the next year. So, so pricing the wine was, and I know they want to be on the bottom, but can be on the top, some in the middle, that will make sense. And um, we have a short story about comic to me with, uh, we were uh, pouring some of our Chardonnays and, I mean, our Chardonnays are 18 and 16, which is kind of the lower side of the Chardonnay compared to many others. And there was a guy tasting the wine, I said, oh, I love this, how much it is, 18? And he looked at me and said, what's wrong? What's wrong with what? <laughs> Do you like the wine? No, I love the wine, what's wrong? Why so cheap? Okay, you can pay more if you want, I mean, like, but, uh, <laughs> I said, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Why, why you ask me that question? I mean, I, I feel bad about it. I mean, should, should I charge more? I mean, I was charging what I thought was actually uh, ideal for the business and everything, and in order to make into more places, because, but it, not on the cheaper one, not on the top. Not, now everything's more expensive, obviously. Um, so that was the challenge right there. And unfortunately, because wine is a luxury item, if it's too affordable, it may, may be perceived as a bad quality, and it's too expensive, maybe high quality, which is kind of stupid anyway. But um, so yeah, you gotta be somewhere that actually you can make a living. But also, in fact, I mean, wine is no, it's no, it's complicated, it's expensive. And one thing that for me, it's been important, I mentioned in the beginning, that for me it's about friendship and family, right? And, I, and when we think about our wines, I want to have wines that many people can have. 
that my friends afford, yeah. can uh, can go and enjoy them. And actually, it's great. You know, I love when my 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 friends email me, "Hey, look what I'm having," you know, and and. And what I mean, friends, are talking about colleagues, you know, the people in the community. Uh, and I want people to enjoy great wines and not have this barrier of this is something that just certain people can attain. And uh, But I want the quality, right? And he works on that and he, he does it. But I want our, you know, when I envisioned, when we were building our brand, right, building our brand book, I told the, the, the people helping us, I said, you know, this is what I envision. I envision a lovely yard, a long table, a lot of people eating good food, chatting, listening to music, drinking our wines, right? So other people may imagine these luxury restaurants. No, for me, Balkan is that. It's, Let's get together, you know, as families and, and, and friends and enjoy a good time. And something yeah. that Juan Pablo said that I love is that when you have a special occasion, you take your wine, right? So it's for me, it's be at a price range where we are the common guest in people's celebration and mm -hmm. special events, right? In Eastern, and uh, when they're celebrating a graduation. I mean, oh, I see, you know, we live in Corvallis, you know, like when they're celebrating a graduation, PhDs, all of that, we want to be there. And and like she mentioned, so my, always have a lesson with my grandpa that I said on the Italian side, long table, full of food, yeah. full of wine. That, that's, that's why I actually perceive for Balkan. And now uh, she knows this already, so I can maybe mention. So we'll, we'll have two more labels that are coming out. And um, something that I wanna, also my dad, because he said, what, what have my wine? So what, what's your wine? I said, well, I want my name on the label. I said, <laughs> okay, uh, thank God, now put pressure on me. So we'll be two more labels. Uh, so we'll be after the, both of my last names, uh, so it will be uh, Famille Valor, which is uh, a family, uh, a Valor family in French. And there's the, that's two owners in my dad's side, and then Familia Giorlini, which is my mom's last name, which is the Italian side. So we'll, we'll split up a little bit on those two, and it will be even more smaller so than the other ones. The idea is just to, so one of them will have my dad's name, Cesar, and it will be based on uh, Malbec blends. So Malbec will be the core, and then um, for my dad, uh, I'll make in a, a Malbec Cabernet Sauvignon blend, which is something that she, he likes a lot. And he's still a wine broker down in Mendoza, so he, he doesn't know this yet, so hopefully he won't be watching this. <laughs> he doesn't speak English, so probably he doesn't even know what I'm saying. Or myself. <laughs> then I will be, uh, uh, a Malbec Cabernet Franc, and that we call Francisco. And Francisco is her dad, lay dad, and um, it's also our son. And that's also my grandfather, and also all the Francois that came from France. So it's Francisco is a big name for the family. For both families. For both families, so it's, it, well, in the family. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh.
We're using the in the fire, not <laughs> mud fire. And then on the Gerlini side, we'll be with uh, Matri uh, Italian varieties. So we'll be one is called, so we'll have a Barbera, a full Barbera, and that will be called Maria. So Maria is my mom, Maria Rosa, and my sister, Maria Natalia. And then uh, I'm making uh, like a um, uh, super Toscan. So I'm doing a Sangiovese Carne Franc, which will be Evangelina, which is our daughter. And she's kind of that one. I mean, she's the one, the, the super one. <laughs> it's, uh, so these are the ones. So basically, I'm honoring Montreal family name and people with names and wines. So, and again, the, the, the way that we had these, we probably, what I see is in the future, the, our kids, our grandkids, if we have them, will remember that. And they will have uh, maybe memory, but they also will be a one you think about it, something that you probably mentioned, something that you can say, you take to your friends and say, hey, this is our, my grandparents, so these are where these, and now we work this. And I don't know, so many things that, I don't know, I, like Dory said, I'm, I'm a big dreamer, and, um, but dream come true. And, but you have to dream what you want and you gotta be specific what you want because sooner or later, it, it will show up. The dream will show up, will be, and it could turn into a nightmare, like it happened in many things before. <laughs> we won't get enough each other yet, but... Uh. That's my role, make sure that it doesn't become a nightmare. Well, I, I love that. And I, I know you mentioned earlier uh, your own vineyard. I'm, I'm curious about where that plays into what you're working on. Uh, we had, uh, well, since I, that was my dream at some point, uh, we... Looking for more grapes, I found a place that was, uh, that was let go in Monroe. And um, so it's a small vineyard, three acres. They were just abandoned for three years. It was just in a really bad shape. I told Doris after I made the lease with the guy. And she didn't like that, and I apologize <laughs> for that again and again and again. So many times, but now on the record. Um, but it, it was something that I didn't want to let it pass. It would be, I can actually use what I learned from college in order to put it back in shape. I always like to fix things and I see potential. And that play was neat because it was unrooted. So normally most of the vineyard right now, they have rootstock and clones. So the guy planted back in the 80s, didn't know what roost, there was no rootstock, was unrooted, no clone, no nothing. So who knows? I mean, uh, so I got it in, in I, we made the deal in 2012, which is actually one more thing to add to that year. So I started working in 2013. Uh, we got to prune back really heavily. Uh, so there was no cluster basically in 2013. So there's no, no, I don't even know if they were red, white, or what the color was because there was no cluster. So 2014 was the first vintage. And I started, uh, so that's the first vintage. And also that we have our daughter. So my time was actually getting into what I, I can't afford that much time. But I started doing it. So I subcontract people. I will drive the, the tractor spray. I will do most of the things. And I love that part. I mean, I if I had to work hard, I will do it. But it, it was just taking off. Then something that if you actually go back to 2016 when I did this interview, and I was mentioned the political change in the future and about the 
shortage in the labor force. That was true, and I know that. And I, back in the time in 2016, we had two, two little ones. The problem with two little ones is that two little, but too big for one guy, and it was just really bad size. And um, so, unfortunately, both of them were unrooted, so we got phylloxera there. So we were start losing um, uh, vines year after year. So we were losing like 20% of the vine. So 2018 was our last vintage in there, and then we just went out. Uh, the owner didn't like the idea of planting new one, which is, I, I did that, but then he was complaining about the water that was using for, for the small vine. So we it took so we actually harvest uh, all the Pinot Noir and the Pinot Gris, and I went through after the the truck left with the grapes to the winery and the picker went home. I spent like an hour there and I actually cried. I was touching the wine and said, "Okay, I'm I'm done, man. Uh, this is my chapter right here. I'm I may get, <laughs> I get emotional on that. <laughs> Sorry." Um, but I would say, I said, uh, I need more time for the family. I need more time for the label. And I say, okay, I took side and say, okay, I just want to make more wine, uh, sell my brand, build our brand together, and have the kids actually spend time with the kids. Mm -hmm. So. He made. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I feel myself, I picture myself still like touching the lips and everything. <laughs> so it's, uh, and it's something that it may sound cheesy most of the time when we say it's about passion, but it's true, man. This job is about freaking passion. Because you don't, sometimes you get some money, and then when you get the money, you don't even enjoy it, but you gotta pay another bill over there, or that bill over there. So, but it's this little detail moment when you build something, and it did, and uh, you grow things. I, I love growing things. When I see a seed, and then I see a plant, and I see fruit, it's just, and I see my kids that way. And sometimes they say, oh, our kids are getting so, so big. I say, good, because that's our job, for God's sake. <laughs> I, they need to grow. They need to grow, and they, they, they need to do their own thing. So that's, that, that's our job. And I know, I mean, I, I wish it could be a little baby sometime, and now they show their own attitude, and like the wine. The wine, when they're in, in the middle age, I mean, when they need to spend, if that's like, uh, like uh, I call myself with the aging in battle, it's more like the teenager stage, because they go through whole process, and they figure out what they want to be, and how they're becoming what's going to be in a few years. So, I... And you have very little control over what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, sure, a lot of control. <laughs> but the only thing that I, I giving them options for the future. Mm -hmm. If we actually keep it, and that dot is, is, a, is a great partner on that side too, that actually either way, she may not like what I do sometimes, but it's always uh, it's, it's, it's kind of calculated risk. I mean, it's not like we will spend 20 grand and then if we lose, we lose. There's no gambling. I mean, sometimes, why making is gambling? I will put it that way, but it's not like going to the casino. That it could be 50-50. Uh, no, we'll, we'll try. Uh, I, I understand the business. Uh, I'm in a different page right now that I see where is the industry going. 
but not so just the industry here, because what, what my neighbor doing maybe affect me or may not. But I know what the consumer are looking for, which is that key right now. If you, if you can provide the consumer what they want, or provide something that actually they may want that they didn't know. And those are the innovation with the different wines that are no, that never made before, um, and they're really high quality. So how do you attract consumers? What's, what's sort of the marketing philosophy behind your brand and, and what do you see that expanding to in the future? So, <clears throat> can I talk more yeah, about yeah, the branding? Yeah. I, I am, as I said, I we started small and local, okay? And I think that for me, Corvallis market is super important. Um, it's my community and I want to see, you know, I want to become the wine of choice for Corvallis to begin with, right? And I, you know, and I, I am, I, I am an academic, right? So I, I, I like things to test and research, and I think that it, part of the brand is that local, family-owned, you know, because it's true who we are, right? It's true who we are. It's a small, locally-owned uh, brand. Um, we want to make our brand accessible and represent the diversity of the people. So when you look at a lot of our ads, we try to find you know, people who reflect who our customers are. We definitely are kind of looking at young professionals or uh, professionals with families. But also we have a market in Puerto Rico. Our wine is brand and sells in Puerto Rico and uh, and that is a market that we pay attention and uh, and part of and, our and, branding. And, and it's a big market actually, which actually we didn't know that but and it's a way of keeping true also to my roots, right? Like to, to who I am. Uh, so and our you know, when you look at our brands, the idea is simple, back to basics. Uh, but elegant and enjoyable, not pretentious, but great, you know, and, and I think that that is hard to do, right? Like how you balance that when you stay true to, to, um, you think wine through history, it's about getting people together. Right, and that for me, it's the label, getting people together. So our brand is about getting people together. And you know, we may have different strategies when we work with different populations, um, but we use a lot of, most of our right now followers are locals from, you know, the Corvallis area, people that heard from uh, friends from Corvallis. The caveat is that even though Corvallis is local, it's a university town, right? So we have people from different states and also different Friends, countries, yeah. you know, who, who try our wine and, and like it and follow, you know. Um, so, and I think that's why people connect with the brand regardless of where they're coming from because everything goes back to sharing time. So it doesn't matter what segment of the market you are, who is your, you know, what is your culture, what is your career, we all want to gather, we all want to spend time together. So that's kind of being, you know, at the root of, of what we do with the brand. Yeah, and then we measure everything on social media. Uh, yeah, we use, we yeah. use social media for advertising, we use the Oregon One Press as well. 
Um, we have um, radio ads sometimes. Um, we just do different things. Uh, I think the future for many of, of the advertising or, or reaching out people will be social media. Um, uh, but again, so like like Dori said, I, I will say that probably our business is run by our consumer, most of them are women, and I, that's kind of actually the, what I expected because mm -hmm. in many times that we will go to a different party or, or celebration, you will see that at the beginning everyone is drinking wine, but uh, but after the the one hour or two hours, you'll see that most of the guy will go to beer or some or, or hard liquor, and then you'll see women most of the time just keeping with wine. So either from, and there's a bad conception about the women only do white wine. It's just beer. Yeah, that's wrong. I mean, that's women's totally wanna be. Weird. That's true. Women's wanna <laughs> consume good wines and and, red, uh, and, and, um, and full and, body. I mean, it's just um, yeah. And I'm willing to spend, so this is interesting for me, is like when I see magazines, wine magazines, for the most part, they're catered for men, you know, in terms of the advertising, even the fonts, the colors, what, what, what they are. But actually, the, the fastest growing market, it's women, you know, women, we have the purchasing power, and, and some brands are overlooking that, and we're giving away this to people, but I want people to realize, you know, like, women are a huge part of the market and uh, they want to learn. So we uh, we do, we like, you know, well, and it's hard right now because we're in the middle of the pandemic, right? So there's a lot of stuff. We open our tasting room three months before the pandemic. So there's a lot of things that we had planned. Take that, but pandemic. part of our idea <laughs> of the brand is kind of, take away some of this mysteriousness and have a more educational approach. And this is my academic size. Like, let's come and learn about wines. Let's try. Let's try these three wines. What do you like? And I think it's what Paolo always say, when people say, what is the best wine? He say, the one that you like. Ultimately, it's to what people, but let's help people figure it out, mm -hmm. what they like. So our idea long-term, hopefully when the pandemic, it's, uh, you know, it's over, when we have more uh, options to do, is bring back that educational side so people can learn. And when we open, we, we receive feedback from several uh, customers that say, it's so intimidating sometimes to go to a tasting room. And I have felt that here I'm at home, I can ask all the questions that I want. And, and that's been part of our philosophy is like, come, you don't know about wine? come learn more we're gonna teach you it's easy you know it, it's easier you know it doesn't have to be complicated and that's been part of our brand as well so it's to bring newer consumers right and you know there's a growing also population of latinos and other communities that are also willing to 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 get you know to try and and so we also want to reach out and as I say, I'm from Puerto Rico. This is not part of our culture, but we love wines. And then when he goes there, he goes to all these events where uh, there's all these wine connoisseurs in Puerto Rico, but growing up, that was not the case. So the segment in some countries that before may not have been big consumer is also growing. So we're paying attention to those segments of the population that, uh, that there's a lot of potential to grow.
And something that we didn't mention, but uh, charity, which is something that I, I love with the brand. Uh, we collaborate with many different charities, and we provide wines, we donate money. Um, it's, uh, it's the famous uh, pay back and pay forward thing. It's just a lot of that idea that I can do it. Um, many times we do it with Silver Ridge, but sometimes you have to go through many different doors in order to say, can we just donate? Mm -hmm. I'll do it with my own brand. I don't mind to do it. I love the idea. I mean, we've been helped from day one when we came here, and I don't mind to help any other people. I think that's kind of the right thing to do. The, the first of all, pay back and for what we got already and pay forward for what we'll get in the future, so. Uh, all right, so we talked a little bit about, about 2020 earlier. Obviously, no, no, one's, no one's favorite year to reflect on, but I'm, but I'm curious, uh, you've talked a bit about the way it's affected you already. Um, tell me about the effects of the, of the pandemic on your work and, and, and on the industry that you saw and how you sort of see yourselves coming out of the pandemic and your business coming out of the pandemic. Well, um, I mean, it's a pandemic, and first time that probably everyone is going through something like that. It's been complicated for me in the case uh, I had to I worry about people, uh, worry about my friends, my family, and, and, and now affect my family down in Argentina. I have family in Italy, so it's everyone being affected. And it's just so many different uh, ways to look at the pandemic, how you've been affected. Because you will be affected on the emotional side, on the health side, on the uh, professional side. The wine didn't stop. We didn't get shut down. The, the tasting room got shut down, which is actually that's that's burn. But we were able to do uh, deliveries, and people we got a lot of great support from local people, and that's something that I love from Oregon. And I hope some sometime Argentina will go the same way. That support local businesses and without that support last year will be a really sad year and it's still sad but the, you can see that actually um, now I mean January was a really probably the saddest month that we had and I believe probably everyone after we celebrate New Year we probably thought that will be a new page and January become the 13 months of 2020 and nothing changed Everything got so really um, depressed and sell didn't move, but then February changed. I think the weather changed. We got more people vaccinated, more, more, I mean, even the government said more money. <laughs> so things that actually uh, we're lucky that actually we have a business in the U.S., especially in Oregon. That if you have business probably in Europe right now or in Argentina, which actually they didn't get the support. Um, so, and the professional side, it's hard, it's still hard because you don't, you can't do tastings anymore inside the winery. Most of the reps, they come and they say, can I try the wine? No, we don't allow anyone to come in the wine. And even myself, when I'm doing the tasting, even better tasting, I had to, I'll have the, the mask hanging from one ear, uh, the wine teeth, I'm doing this, the whole thing gets involved. And even sometimes, believe it or not, the mask sometimes gets, uh, you get the smell of the mask sometimes in your nose, and then you go to the wine. Everything is, is weird. It's just, uh, I'm not complaining because we're healthy, uh, we still have a business, people like the wine, 
But it, it's, uh, it is weird. And then for us, it's been that we've been living in a bubble for over a year. And I mean, that's why probably we planned this to do this last year. And it happened because we couldn't find a time that will feel uh, safe enough to say, okay, mm. let's go and do it because we, we know if we will have to be inside. And you know, the, it, indoor spaces are not safe or safe enough unless everyone everyone's vaccinated. I don't know. So I'll thought it probably have a better picture on the on social side of it. You know, I think that the pandemic, um, there's another component that is not talked here is that it has a tremendous impact on women's careers and jobs. So, and um, in terms of the care, children's at home, um, actually in Oregon, most of the unemployment caused by the pandemic has been affected, predominantly women, right? So that is, and then if we talk about the women growing, you know, an important segment of the, the, the market, right? So that is that, right? Like at the macro level, you have that, that impact, right? At the personal level, this was very hard on me, right? Like when this happened, as I said, we have three months, you know, of the tasting room open when this happened. And we suddenly were shut down of the business. You have to figure it out. You have employees, how you gonna handle that? You have suddenly two kids at home, plus I was teaching online and educating them. And uh, so JP works in, in Eugene, right? So for our family, it had a tremendous impact, right? And, um, and he's great with the kids and he shared a lot of their responsibilities, but and I'm sure we're not, we're the only ones, right? And then harvest happened in the middle of a pandemic, right? All that stress and, you're trying to keep your family safe, your business safe, your work safe. Um, the the agricultural workers were have been you know badly hit by the pandemic, right? Disproportionately, they have had the lar largest percent of cases in Oregon, right? So there's a, an impact to the industry, but there's the human side of things, you know, like how this impact families. But there's also the blessings, I think, because we've been telling you, we've been doing all these things, so busy, 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 that it actually have allowed sometimes to think a little bit. So to envision the wine club and how this is gonna look like, we're still working on it, and we have a couple of other projects that we now had had the time. So in a way, give us some pause. But I have to say that we have been very, lucky having the Corvallis community. When the pandemic happened and the businesses start closing, local organizations develop and support for all the organizations and they will link and promote different uh, or, uh, businesses, including our own. And, and the, the Corvallis community have show up for us. And, and I'm never gonna forget, so if I before like the Corvallis community, after the pandemic, they are home now. Like they, I feel taking care in my community as a business owner, and that was great to see, right? That it's not just that, yeah, we're having fun, we're there, but bad times happen and people were still there. People were still, hey, Doris, are you still doing deliveries? We wanna support your business, so what's that? 
personal connection, texting, hey, are you still doing deliveries? Because I want to continue supporting, and regardless if I need wine or not, you know, and that for me, that was very, very meaningful, very meaningful. So the pandemic also showed the beauty of the community that we live. So one last question for you, uh, and JP, I know you have an interesting perspective on this, having been on the wine board and, and seen, seen the state from a different perspective than others, but what do you see as you look ahead for, for Oregon wine, and, and, and what are the, sort of, I guess the first part is, what are the sort of the biggest changes you've seen in the industry, and, and what do you see as you look ahead for the industry? Um, well, we, we have, um, so the, 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 the industry is, is, is growing and growing and growing, and that we know that already. And um, I see there will be pretty soon an issue between in the, what it, because start right now Pinot Noir is actually our driver. So the, the driving the whole industry is just Pinot Noir. And I see a problem also that I see already with Argentina because they started with Malbec a little earlier than here with the Pinot Noir. And Argentina facing a challenge of, okay, what else you got? Mm -hmm. uh, so, okay, love your Malbec, but what else you got there? Mm -hmm. And people over here, it's also, okay, I love the Pinot, but what else, what other what you have? And most of the, the, the wine is in the upper part of the Willard Valley. You go and do tasting and say, okay, this is a Pinot. And people will say, okay, what other one you have? Another Pinot. And another Pinot, okay, so people will say, what other, what other variety, what, what, what else we have in Oregon? I think we're at the, at, the, at the point where we need to be looking for or diversifying the portfolio of what we can offer in Oregon. And that's what something that uh, earlier uh, Dolly mentioned, uh, the other ABAs, and I'm really in love it, with many, but the Rogue Valley is my place to go to, and I love the quality down there, I love the, the, the terroir, the grower, the, the place, and they have every single variety that you can think of, and um, unfortunately it may not be available, or then can you afford it, you cannot afford it, but we have to look right now for a brother for Malbec, uh, for sorry, for Pinot Noir, which I believe uh, we have a shot at Malbec, and Malbec could become the big brother for uh, Pinot Noir. And this is something because there's not a lot of challenge, there's not a lot of competition beside Argentina. So there's no, for example, if you look Pinot Noir, you have California, which is the, they have good Pinot Noir. You got Burgundy, which is the place for Pinot Noir. We have the Willard the Valley, uh, but Malbec is only Argentina. No one being claiming to be the place of Malbec in the U.S. And not even California, which is California is way ahead on us, or Washington State. So we have a shot there. Unfortunately, Malbec is still growing really small, even smaller than Tempranillo, you can say Tempranillo, say Tempranillo. Okay, there you go. <laughs> that for you, my friend. Um, so we need to start diversifying, and that's the idea of our brand, is to show, and this is actually true with, we go to Puerto Rico, like she mentioned, mm -hmm. and I say, like, the guys over there are really into wine, and the, the, I thought, well, it would be rum and beer, because, no, 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 there's a lot of club, of guys that have a lot of money, I don't care about spending any amount of money. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and women, really, <laughs> but the one they unfortunately told me they were all men, all male. <laughs> and um, so they said, I never tried Carne Franc from, from Oregon. This is beautiful, this is amazing. I never tried Malbec from Oregon. I never tried Carne Sauvignon. And, and, so, and so and so and so. So we're, not do, we're doing a great job on the Pinot, but, and that's something that I learned from the Oregon Wine Board, which is with the Oregon brand, Oregon brand. So, and the Oregon brand will relate it to any variety that we can make into high quality. It's, the key is quality. If you can come out with quality, that's it. That's not a variety that we're gonna show out. You're gonna outside, you need, it's like if you have friends coming over, you're gonna show out the best of you have in your house. You don't wanna show something that it may look bad to you. So I think that's something that, and I'll raise it happening, um, but small steps. I mean, like, uh, we all depend on the Pinot, and Pinot is going to be king forever. I mean, Pinot is going to be Oregon for a long, long time, but we need to diversify. There's more than Pinot in the state, and we need to, and we got great land, great terroir, great grower, and great winemaker, and great wineries to actually support all the varietals. All the questions that I have for the two of you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we need to talk about that we didn't talk about already? Well, I want to add to, to what JP said in terms of the branding, in terms of the, the variety. Also, recognize that Oregon is changing as a state demographically, um, internationally, and the branding of the wines have also to caught up with that and realized that we need to target other uh, other segments of the market that can be overlooked and uh, and I think that that would be great and again I think that what you're doing with this project is great and and having this collection of the wine you know history I think is great so thank you for having us uh, thank you for having us. Thank you guys for watching us. <laughs> it's been a long one, but you actually got to see uh, what's been almost 18 years. Um, and I don't know, we'll come back for more with, uh, and hopefully we'll, if we get to do this in the future again in probably five, ten years, we'll be talking hopefully about our kids working with us and everything. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank really you. appreciate. Really, really appreciate this. Is, this is great. Thanks for your time and your stories. And uh, going to let you off the hook. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University, with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.